Coming to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny. Motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you, the Forge of Freedom. And now, here's your host, Alex Uli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 65 of the Forge of Freedom. Uh, today, for Monday, Gunday, I've got Mike Uli back in the studio to discuss some recent news out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals involving the uh, California's high-capacity magazine ban. And uh, first of all, good morning, Mike. Hey, Alex. Uh, good to be back. So one thing we want to talk about today is not just the substance of the decision. In fact, we're not going to get into the substance of, uh, in great detail, but we want to talk to, to folks about what the procedural uh, posture is uh, with this case because there's there's the procedural side of things and then also the substantive side of things. And obviously, I, we think that, and I'll link to this in the show notes, Judge Benitez, <clears throat> the district court judge in uh, California or in the Ninth Circuit, did a, a fantastic job when wrote a wonderful opinion, which we'll link to, uh, basically dismantling the California High Capacity Magazine ban from a constitutional perspective, especially in light of the Bruin decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, but one thing that I think is lost on many people who are not attorneys is what is meant by, number one, district court, circuit court, uh, Supreme Court. What does it mean to GVR? What does it mean to hear a case in bonk versus by a panel? These, these are all sorts of terms that are thrown around uh, on YouTube and, and by the, the legal community. Uh, that I think are taken for granted that that people understand. So we want to explain some of that today, and we'll we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, Mike, you want to say, uh, make a few comments, just sort of highlight what's going on uh, substantively with with the case out in California. Yeah, and kind of this week for me, I just a little background. I, I was involved in a civil case this week, and um dear happened in this case i'll just not, not to identify anybody but sometimes i'll just leave it at this i think very very good attorneys i'm not talking about me um very very good attorneys sometimes use words and phrases that jurors don't necessarily understand um and that we as lawyers take for granted it doesn't mean that we're smarter than anybody else it's kind of like going to your mechanic and when he talks about the icp you need to cha change your icp valve on your diesel engine doesn't mean you're stupid. You just you're not familiar with ICP valves. So. You don't you don't speak that language. You don't speak that language. So I think it was it, this kind of that sort of sowed the seeds for this uh, episode. And one of the things that we do, we teach a five or six hour legal class with respect to the use of force and firearms. And you have a section of that class that's sort of a, a, a civics lesson on how the courts are organized. And I think it's important for people to understand a couple of things. And I think the uh, gun community, maybe you just came back. We'll talk about that next week. You just came back from the Second Amendment Foundation uh, gun rights policy conference. But I think it's it's uh, uh, we make a lot of assumptions in the gun community about what folks understand 
in terms of the legal system. And even if you're out there listening and you understand it, maybe this will help you articulate to other folks that don't understand it. And I think it's always a good time to refresh it, refresh our recollection about how our court system works. Um, and I want to say a couple things real quick. Of course, we have state systems like we're in Indiana. And that's where you go, and if you've got a small claims case, or you're in a car wreck, or somebody has a DUI, or commits a murder, or there's a divorce, or there's somebody dies and the state has to be open, those sorts of things are generally handled in the state courts. And people are involved in the state courts every day, all day. But we also have a system, I like to put up my copy of the Constitution, uh, a system of federal courts that are separate and distinct, although you can appeal decisions in some instances uh, from state courts to the United States Supreme Court, for instance. And, and I'll get into this. You can There can be other interfaces between state courts and federal courts. But the U.S. Constitution has what we call Article Three courts. Article Three of the Constitution establishes the judicial powers uh, that the founders uh, contemplated the federal judiciary was going to have. So that's where we start from when we talk about federal courts. Another thing I want to talk about, we even use the word substantive and procedural, uh, sort of assuming everybody understands what that is. And you mentioned Judge Benitez's decision, I think it was this past week, where he indicated that California's ban on magazines uh, with a capacity in excess of 10 was unconstitutional. Well, that decision that California's law was unconstitutional, that was the substantive decision that Judge Benitez made. But we also have to have a, a law and rules that tell us how courts um, logistically um, work in terms of being able to turn out those substantive decisions. And that's what we want to talk about today. How does a case in the federal system, we're not talking about that divorce or car wreck case or the criminal case, how does a, how does a, 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 a case that's in federal court, and by the way, federal courts have limited jurisdiction, um, there's a couple ways you can get into federal court, one of, it, one of which is if there's a federal question constitutional question. So that's what we're going to limit ourselves to here today. Um, but if you've got a constitutional question, you want to get into federal court, what's that winding road to get maybe in those very few cases that make it there to get to the United States Supreme Court in Washington, D.C.? So anyway, I hope that made some sense. Yeah. So they're, they're, like you said, the, the rules of the road uh, with respect to how to how to bring a claim if you're the one who's been injured or harmed as a result of some violation of the law or alleged violation of the law. And uh, the rules are not all that simple. So and, and the structure, and I, I don't think it's intuitive to folks who, who haven't been exposed to the judicial system. But like you said, Mike, there's the, the state system, uh, there are state courts, and then there are federal courts. And there are lots of ways that you can get into one or the other of those, but oftentimes it's based on a violation of uh, the state constitution or state law. Uh, generally, if that's the case, you'll bring the case in state court. And if there's been a violation of federal law or the federal constitution, generally you would bring that claim in federal court. Now, there are lots of exceptions to that, and uh, I don't want to overly complicate things, but generally... Uh, especially if there's been a violation of the federal constitution, that case is going to be filed in federal court. Now, 
We'll go ahead. Yeah, and don't get us wrong. I want to say again, so people don't think we're dimwits here. I mean, there are a lot, there are other ways you can get into federal court. For There's sure, diversity jurisdiction. The amount of controversy has to be so much. There are lots of other ways, but we're going to constrain our our discussions here to federal question or to uh, uh, this gun case is what we're going to use as an exemplar. But we're going to talk about constitutional issues in the Second Amendment specifically. Yeah. So this case out in California was filed by the California Rifle and Pistol Association actually back in 2017, I believe, and it was filed in federal district court. So when you hear the term district court, that means the lowest level federal court. That's the trial court in the federal court system. So there is the district court, and then there are intermediate courts of appeals in the federal court system, they are called circuit courts. California, uh, with a couple other states, are in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and there are 13 courts of appeals, including 12 regional circuits. So California happens to be in the Ninth. So if the plaintiff brings a case in the uh, California District Court, uh, one of the California District Courts, uh, and the party that loses wants to appeal, they would appeal the decision of the District Court judge to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then if there's a decision or an opinion at the Court of Appeals level, the circuit level, then the parties would have one more opportunity to appeal to the United States Supreme Court. The uh, highest court in the country. So uh, that's the that's the general structure at the federal court level. Now, so just to highlight though, there's about 90 some, I think there's 94 federal district courts. Okay, every state has at least one. Here in Indiana, we have two, the Northern District and the Southern District. So that you have those federal district courts, then above that sort of their superior court is these these courts of appeal. Uh, and in the gun context, we hear about the Fifth Circuit decisions, which is generally a pro-gun uh, court of appeal. And then we hear uh, about the Ninth Circuit, which is generally an anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment, anti-freedom court of appeals. But after those courts of appeal, which there are 12 of them, there's a 13th federal, and there's some other federal courts that, are, that are act as appellate courts. But after that, the only place you can go is the United States Supreme Court, which hears... 150-ish cases a year? Is that or do you know? I don't even know. For sure. I don't know. The, very many. Yeah, a, a very. Uh, so the the court, United States Court of uh, the United States Supreme Court. I apologize. The United States Supreme Court is asked to review many cases every year, and they only accept about two percent. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't have the exact figure at my hands, but it's a very low percentage of cases that they actually accept. And one of the ways that they prioritize cases that they're going to hear or review is where there is a disagreement among the circuit courts, so among the intermediate courts of appeal. And so, for instance, you mentioned the Fifth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit. They are often in disagreement about the Second Amendment, especially in the wake of Bruin. There have been a litany of cases uh, circulating in the, the Fifth and the Ninth circuits where there is a, a disagreement on the same issue between those two circuits that's called a circuit split and the supreme court is more likely to step in in that situation to try to resolve that disagreement among the circuit courts 
Yeah, and a, a couple other things about these circuit courts. For instance, we're in the Seventh Circuit. I'm admitted to the Seventh Circuit, um, but it covers the states of Indiana, uh, Illinois, and Wisconsin. So it's pretty small geographically. Uh, and, and then, like I said, you hear a lot about the Fifth Circuit. I think it's Texas, Mississippi, and Louis. Actually, I got a yeah, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. So a little bigger, bigger than the Seventh Circuit from a geographic standpoint. Um, and then you have the Ninth Circuit, which is huge. It covers the left-leaning liberal Pacific coast of this country. Uh, Washington, Oregon, California is the big one. Arizona, Nevada, Idaho, and Montana. So that's huge. And like I said, they're generally uh, very anti-freedom, anti-gun out there. And I think it's also important to understand – thanks for bringing that up. It's also important to understand – for our discussion a little bit later on, it's my and I don't know how many appellate court judges are in each federal district in each federal appellate court, but it's my understanding it based it depends on the population of their district. So the Ninth Circuit, for instance, I think they have thirty ish around thirty, maybe plus, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, thirty appellate court judges at the federal court of appeals. The Seventh Circuit, where we're at, I think there's only. 10 or 11, something like that. Um, so it's pretty small. I think uh, there are smaller ones and there are bigger ones. So if you if you get online and look at all the federal appellate courts, there then the amount of judges on each of those courts depends on the size and the population of the area that they represent. Yeah. And these are were all established, by the way, by Congress. I'm not sure how they were established uh, organically, but they – this is what we have now in terms of courts of appeal. There has been some discussion, too, about uh, breaking up the Ninth Circuit because it is so large and for other reasons we won't get into here today. And if you're watching this podcast by video, I've put up a map of the federal circuit courts, so the federal courts of appeals. Uh, you can see the map here, and you can tell that the Ninth Circuit is absolutely massive. Uh, so that that's – and it even includes – you see there uh, Alaska. So even if you just look at the lower 48, it's massive. But then when you include <clears throat> Alaska in there, geographically, it's it's massive. So one thing – so we've talked about sort of the basics here with the, the structure of the federal court. But why are we talking about this with respect to this particular case? And the case, I should say, I don't think I've said it yet, is Duncan v. Bonta, which is a case that was filed in uh, – California in the federal district court in California in 2017. And that case was uh, decided and the high capacity magazine ban was determined to be unconstitutional by the federal district court way back in 2017 or judge, 2018. And the same judge. Same judge. Judge, judge Benitez. Benitez. The uh, parties appealed the state of California. Uh, through the Attorney General, appealed, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, through a three-judge panel, affirmed Judge Benitez's decision from the district court. All right, let's stop right there. Here's an assumption. Three-judge panel. Why yep, did you use that term? And what happens in most of these federal district courts when a – strike that – in the appellate courts is an, an opinion – is appealed from a federal district court to the federal appellate court, and usually just three of those judges from that appellate um, circuit court, court yep. the appellate circuit court hear the case. 
So that's called a panel. Those three judges, which are selected randomly, I'm not sure the mechanic, it's a computer, I'm not sure how they do it, but purported, it's, they're selected randomly. They hear the case and they'll issue a decision about whether they affirm or reverse or lots of things they can do with a, with a federal district court decision. But that three judge panel hears it. And usually that's the end of the case. Yep. Usually. In, usually. But in this case, and it's not. This is how, this is how generally they work. Um, and every federal appellate court has rules that are a little different. But general, we're just talking about generalities here. Then after the uh, panel decision, the parties can ask that the court, what we say, on banc, um, means by the bench. By the bench, it's French. It, 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 the it, it, the origin is from the French language. But anyway, the whole court can hear it. Now, the whole court may not be the whole court necessarily. Um, for instance, in the Ninth Circuit, an en banc decision is from, uh, I think, 11 members of the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Ninth, Appeals. Ninth yep. Circuit Court of Appeals. Thank you for making me get the language correct here. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not all 30 judges or 30-ish, how many ever there are. It's 11 uh, make the decision. And then they may you know, change the decision, reverse the decision, whatever, uh, with respect to the three-judge panel. Okay, and then after the en banc decision from the court of the federal court of appeals, the only way to change that in most instances is an appeal that's uh, accepted the United States Supreme Court. Yeah, so it's almost like an internal appeal within the uh, particular circuit court. So from the three judge panel, the parties can requ request review by en banc by the the full panel. Uh, or in the Ninth Circuit, which is 11 judges. So, and like you said, the rules within each circuit are slightly different. They all have uh, a particular set of rules. But the important point to note about this case is that when you appeal from the district court opinion, almost always that appeal is heard by a three-judge panel or considered by a three-judge panel. And that's what happened in this case several years ago. Yep. And then what after the three-judge panel, what happened? The three-judge panel affirmed the decision of the district court, and then the case was heard on banc by the panel in the Ninth, uh, the ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the on banc panel uh, overturned the decision of the district court. And and up, and which upheld the constitutionality of the uh, California High Capacity Magazine ban. And that decision remained in place until Bruin, uh, the Bruin decision from June 2022, which was the United States Supreme Court decision. Yeah, well, it was actually appealed to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court didn't address it until, or indirectly, until Bruin. Correct. So Bruin, uh, the Bruin decision comes down uh, June 2022, and the Supreme Court GVRs the Duncan case out of the Ninth Circuit, which means they granted review of the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. They vacated the decision, and they remanded it for reconsideration within uh, the context of the Bruin decision. So they said, uh, Ninth Circuit, reconsider your decision in light of our opinion in Bruin, right? So, so that's that's why the case is now back in the Ninth Circuit, uh, actually in the Ninth 
district court, the Ninth Circuit District Court, Judge Benitez, a little over a week ago, September 22nd, issues a 71-page opinion uh, finding that the high-capacity magazine ban is unconstitutional. And this is where we we want to talk, kind of get into the nitty-gritty a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And keep in mind the reason the United States Supreme Court said essentially, hey, Ninth Circuit, look at this case again in light of Bruin, is because the Ninth Circuit, I think inappropriately, had done this interest balancing test about the Second Amendment. In other words, they're like, essentially in layman's terms, the court said, well, the state's got this important state interest in keeping folks safe. Don't don't yell at me. It's I know it's BS that the magazine ban, ban somehow keeps people safe, but the, the the state makes this argument, and the court says we have to weigh this against the constitutional rights. Well, of course, the Ninth Circuit uh, treats the Second Amendment as a second class right, and they all, almost always say that the state's interest, California's interest, um, is more important than the individual right, particularly when it comes to the Second Amendment, and therefore they endorse whatever the state of California wants to do. Well, in Bruin, the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, that's not the way we do these Second Amendment cases. It's not a Second Amendment. It's not a second class right. And if if the uh, banned activity affects the Second Amendment, an exercise under the Second Amendment, then you have to look at the uh, tradition and the law that existed, I think, at the founding in 1791. There's some debate about whether we look to Civil War era or not. But anyway, so it, the Supreme Court changed the analysis with respect to Second Amendment cases which is why they sent it back down to the Ninth Circuit. Yep. So they sent it back down to the Ninth Cir- Circuit to apply the appropriate standard, the standard that was affirmed by Bruin, and that is we don't we don't do this we don't engage in this interest balancing. The court said in Bruin that that interest balancing was done at the time of the founding when the Second Amendment was adopted, uh, was included as part of the Bill of Rights that that they determined that individual right was more important than whatever state interest exists. Uh, and there is no interest balancing that was done. So the question is, does the uh, proposed regulation burden the sec- the exercise of your right to keep and bear arms? And if it does, the state, that is in this case, the state of California, has to show that there is an analogous regulation at the time of the founding that comports with the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment. And that clearly cannot be done uh, with respect to this high-capacity magazine ban. So Judge Benitez, uh, the, the Ninth Circuit, hears the Supreme Court, and as, as traditional, the Ninth Circuit Court, Federal Court of Appeals says sends it back down to the Federal District Court so that it can hear arguments from uh, both sides, look at the facts, look at the law, and make a decision. Well, Judge Benitez just recently, the same judge, hears it again, Judge Benitez, and guess what? Judge Benitez says, well, just like before, I thought California's magazine ban was unconstitutional. It still is today under um, the Bruin analysis as well. And I'll read one passage from this. And by the way, it's 70 plus pages, his decision. Uh, and it's a, a really good exercise to read that, to arm yourself with the arguments and to understand uh, the new, and I don't think, to understand how these cases should be analyzed. And, and one, one thing before you read that, um, you, you mentioned that there is some debate about what period of history we look to when we review the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment. I think it's clear what period of history we look to. The Supreme Court in Bruin said we look to the time of the founding. We only look to later history around the time of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War 
for confirmation of our understanding of the history from the time of the founding. The debate, it's not really a debate, it's a, it, but the debate that you're referring to is basically these circuit courts that are trying to uh, subvert the Supreme Court's guidance. Yeah, well, and I agree with you. You're right. I, I think you're absolutely right about that because before what these how they how the federal courts tried to subvert subvert um, the Supreme what I think the Supreme Court said in Heller and McDonald is by using this interest balancing test. Well, the Supreme Court made it clear that was wrong, mm -hmm. so they've got to find some other tool to subvert subvert the right. So that's why they're saying, hey, we need we can look to these other time periods to find these yeah. analogous uh, yeah. laws out there. So thank you for that clarification. They're, they're, they're trying to generate a debate that doesn't exist. I, essentially. I agree. Yeah. Amen. Uh, but that's the that's the debate we've got to deal with now, and you'll see that a little bit in this decision. But if I could just indulge sure. me, this yes. one quote, I think it sums it all up, Judge Benitez, and this is towards the end of the opinion. But he says, one government solution to a few madmen with guns is a law that may that makes into criminals responsible, law abiding people wanting larger magazines simply to protect themselves. The history and tradition of the Second Amendment clearly supports state laws against the use or misuse of firearms with unlawful intent, but not the disarmament of law-abiding citizens. The kind of solution, this kind, that kind of solution, is an infringement on the constitutional right of citizens to keep and bear arms. The adoption of the Second Amendment was a freedom calculus decided long ago by our first citizens who cherished individual freedom with its risks more than the subservient security of a British ruler or the sm smothering safety of domestic lawmakers. The freedom they fought for was worth fighting for then, and that freedom is entitled to, to be preserved still, period. So I think that's a, one of his best quotes from the, the uh, opinion. Yeah, and it's a, it's a wonderful opinion, very well written. Uh, heavily footnoted, and I'll link to the opinion, the 71-page opinion in the show notes so that you can read it yourself if you'd like. It's, it's, it's accessible even to, except for some of the procedural stuff, but it's accessible even to folks without a, a legal background. Uh, so I'll link to that. I'll also link to, I'll, I'll say now, to the uh, Michelle and Associates website. They're the firm that is litigating this Duncan v. Bonta case, and they have a list with link links to all the documents that are or most of the documents that have been filed in this case and sort of a timeline of the case. I'll link to that. But oh go ahead. A couple things. One thing I want to think before I forget about it. A lot of folks may say, oh, this is happening out in California. Who cares? Well the reason this is important this is important to everybody everywhere, uh, because eventually if the Supreme Court were I don't think they will, but if they were to adopt the reasoning of the Ninth Circuit, for instance, um you know, that could affect, that would affect all of us in every state. So that's why it's important to pay attention to all of these cases in all of the various federal appellate courts. So I'll, like I said, I'll link to the uh, Michelle and Associates website with the sort of the timeline and the document links to all the, the filings in this case, and also link to the California Rifle and Pistol Association website. They have lots of great information about this case as well. And like you said, Mike, this is this is not just the Ninth Circuit. This is a, an issue that affects all of us that care about the right to keep and bear arms nationwide. So there's a little bit of a, if I could, you mean to talk about the procedural? Well, you uh, want to go ahead. no, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to let you take the, the reins here in just a second. But so we've, the case was GVR'd. It was granted review by the Supreme Court. 
It was vacated. It was remanded back to the Ninth Circuit, and it was sent all the way back down to the district court for Judge Benitez. So a week ago, a little over a week ago, uh, September 22nd, Judge Benitez issues his opinion, uh, finding that the high-capacity magazine ban is unconstitutional. The state of California appeals. Once again, to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and this is where things get a little bit interesting. You want to talk about that, Mike? Yeah. By the way, Judge Benitez stays the enforcement. He basically says, hey, listen, your 15-round magazine – 10-round. Well, your 15, a 15-round 15 magazine okay. with your Glock 19 is no longer illegal, okay, or your 17-round magazine with your Glock 17 or whatever it is. Whatever flavor of gun you have is not illegal, but – don't get in a hurry. I'm gonna I'm going to stay my decision. It's not gonna take effect right now for ten days because he wants he gives the state of California that time to appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So the law hasn't technically changed yet. Uh he made a substantive decision, but he stayed it, meaning it's not gonna take effect yet. So to give the other side a chance to appeal, which they have appealed. And the controversy in this case is remember we said originally usually a three judge panel. We'll hear these appeals from the federal uh, district court level, and that's what happened the first time around with this case. But it's my – and I'm not admitted to the Ninth Circuit, um, but it's my understanding the Ninth Circuit took what was an unprecedented or nearly unprecedented decision to skip the three-judge panel and allow this to go to the original 11-judge on banc panel to hear this appeal from Judge Benitez's decision, the appeal of his decision. As an initial matter, it went to the en banc panel, which is un, uh, almost unprecedented. I'm not aware of – there may be another case, but I'm not aware of another case where this this has happened, where it's gone – skipped over the three-judge panel and gone straight to the en banc. Yeah. Now, looking in from the outside and talking to other folks that know more about the Ninth Circuit – or listening to other folks that know more about the Ninth Circuit than I do, um, this looks like from the outside – you know, the way for these pro or these anti-gun judges, anti-freedom judges in the Ninth Circuit, at least when it comes to the, the Second Amendment, for them to take this case back and do whatever they're going to do to carve up the, the the Second Amendment right. Maybe we'll see what the we'll see what the Ninth Circuit does. But uh, some folks think that they wanted to skip the three judge panel and a random selection of three judges who might make a pro Second Amendment decision. Because um, remember, I think the, the Ninth Circuit is divided to the extent it matters, and I think it does. Uh, it's divided pretty equally, pretty equally between uh, judges that were appointed by Republican presidents and judges that were appointed by Democratic presidents. I think it's probably 60-40 in, in favor of judges that were reported, uh, appointed by Democrats. But rather than have this randomness, and you may have a randomness then ultimately with 11-judge panel, that randomness could create a decision that was favorable to the Second Amendment, and some people think that they did this. These judges uh, did that. By, by the way, it's not just me. It's other judges on the Ninth Circuit said that this was wholly inappropriate, wrong, and hurts the reputation of the courts by doing this because they just stepped in so that they, they – the cake's already baked, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, and we know what's going to happen. Yeah, so there was an injunction entered by Judge Benitez. That injunction was stayed by Judge Benitez. And let me back up. An injunction means the state is prevented from, enforce, from enforcing the magazine ban. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's – they are enjoined from enforcing the magazine ban. Judge Benitez stayed – put that injunction on pause 
for 10 days to give the state an opportunity to appeal. And the ninth, and this is what you're getting at, Mike, the Ninth Circuit, the full panel was concerned that if a three-judge panel got the case, got the appeal, that Judge Benitez's injunction would go into effect, that the stay of that injunction yes. would be lifted. And so in order to avoid that from happening, the and full then, the full judge, the full panel stepped in to prevent that from happening because they wanted California's law to be able to uh, stay, in, stay effect. in effect. So they stayed the the, the 11, the, the Ninth Circuit, the, the 11 judge panel stayed the enforcement of Judge Benitez's decision is what it amounts to. Correct. So California law stayed in the status quo state. You can't go out and buy a legally go out and buy, well, buy a a magazine, a standard magazine that goes with a Glock 19 or a Glock 17. Yeah. Yet. In and, California. and I'm going to read here from the California Rifle and Pistol Association website. Uh, they address this issue a little bit. I think it's interesting because I hadn't heard this from other outlets uh, in the media. It says the judges from the original three judge panel were not happy about this move, uh, meaning they're not happy about the uh, the full panel stepping in on the initial appeal and expressed great vitriol towards their fellow judges for passing over them. But CRPA, the California Rifle and Pistol Association, believes that this move will make the Duncan case move more quickly through the appeals process and lines this case up as one of the first in line to be heard in the next session of the Supreme Court. In short, this may have saved two years of litigation by the court choosing to place the appeal with the en banc panel right away. At this time, we do not have a briefing or hearing scheduled past the October 10th date at this point, but we will report on those upcoming dates as they are set by the court. So there may be some silver lining to this decision by the full panel inserting themselves early on because it may accelerate the process to the Supreme Court. Um, so I, 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 even though I think that this is maybe unprecedented and a terrible move, obviously I think a political move, by the Ninth Circuit uh, full panel. Uh, hopefully, the Supreme Court steps in and affirms the district court decision here, the, the decision by the by Judge Benitez. Yeah, and I I think what's important here, if I were, which I'm not nearly, is equal by any stretch. Uh, he's much, much, much more talented than I. But if I were Clarence Thomas, I'd be a little ticked about what the Ninth Circuit has done yeah. here. I, I think, um, I think there may be a little bit of a smackdown, and and <laughs> a smackdown by the courts or by a judge sounds a bit tempered, but it's obvious when the court is making us being critical of their inferior judges. Uh, and by inferior, I mean the the Circuit Court is lower on the totem pole than the Supreme Court. Uh, and I think the, the Supreme Court will be very critical of what the Ninth Circuit has done here. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this, it, usually just the, the, I think this, the California Pit Rifle and Pistol Association used the word vitriol in describing the reaction from some of the judges within the Ninth Circuit. That's unusual. Mm -hmm. Usually they, you know, um, there's this internal um, criticism of the institution, and that's unusual coming from judges. This sort of 
um, I think criticism anyway. There, there can be criticism about the position you take legally on a matter, but to criticize the motives as to why people, other people, other judges within the, the uh, Ninth Circuit were doing what they're doing, I think is unusual and disturbing. And show, I think it's sort of a reflection of where we're at as a country now uh, on lots of areas. And judges strive very hard and are very conscientious of maintaining the legitimacy, the view that the courts are legitimate and the legitimacy of the courts. So they are very reluctant to criticize other members of the court uh, while they may at the same time disagree and be critical of their views. To be critical in this fashion is very unusual. But to me, this is a reflection of sort of a, a breakdown in the process where judges, you can see judges instead of going through the process, which is I know very cumbersome and time consuming, but instead of going through the process, they're working quickly to get the result that they want yeah. rather than analysis of the law um, that should be done within the context of the Supreme Court decisions we have, i.e. Bruin and Heller and McDonald and others. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mike. Well, I think I hope we've explained it in a way that helps make some sense out of this situation for our listeners. Uh, I think it's important to understand that the structure and the process, not just the substance uh, behind the, uh, well, any case in the federal court, but especially with respect to this Duncan v. Bonta case that's been in the news recently. Yeah. And remember, one one other thing that's important that most of your, your viewers or listeners will understand, I, I mentioned this a little earlier, these federal judges at the all of the federal judges that we've talked about here at the federal district court level and at the court of appeals are up, are and at the Supreme Court are nominated by the president of the United States. So that's why whoever's president is important because we get judges that are true to the text of the Constitution generally, not always, if you have a more conservative president. And we get judges who are more progressive, like the uh, like we've seen in this in the Ninth Circuit, who like to kind of, in my estimation, my opinion, like to make the law the way they think it ought to be in an ideal world, not in accord with the Constitution they, necessarily. They, they view themselves more as public policy analysts and trying to do what's best for the country, making them their their imposing their viewpoints on the cases and the law. And that's exactly the opposite of what was intended by our Constitution. And that's why you can see how important the appointment of judges is in our political process. And by the way, they're approved by the Senate. All right. Well, that's what I think that's where we'll leave it, Mike. And I appreciate you coming on once again to help explain this uh, interesting but somewhat complex topic. Uh, the, those sort of that three panel versus en banc distinction, I think, was is a – uh, sort of a mystery to most folks. So hopefully it makes more sense to, to our listeners now. Hope so. And I'd encourage people to go out and read Judge Benitez's opinion because uh, it, it uh, is very educational. Yep. And I'll once again, I'll link to that in the show notes. So thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to like and subscribe. It helps us spread the message of freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.